he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about uh, event entertainment and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta, your host, and I'm here as I am every week with my cohort in crime, Alexis. I'm going to call her Alexis today, Apostolidis. <laughs> Hello, Alexis. Darling. Hello. I feel like a Carrington right now. Thank Don't you so you. much. Don't you? You are a Carrington. I should be dripped in jewels. You're also a caring lady. Ah, very caring. Thank you for that. That's very. That's a that's lovely thing to say and start my week off on. Well, it is the absolute God's honest truth. I mean, <laughs> there's no, there is absolutely no arguing that point. No, no, no. So, did you have a nice weekend? I did. I did. Um, had a fun game night on Friday, which was really great. Haven't, you know, obviously with the pandemic, haven't been able to do that in a while with uh, our mutual friend, Milo. Oh, yeah. So it was fun. And um, then I took my daughter and her best friend out for a lovely dinner. We dined al fresco last night. Nice. A little bon voyage party for her friend who's going away for a couple of months. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So what, what games did you play on Friday night? Okay. So we have discovered this game. It's not new, but it's new to us called Ticket to Ride. Hmm. And we've been playing it here. Sharon, Janet, and I have been playing the American version. There's different versions. Each version is slightly different set of rules. We found out by accident that Milo had the European version, which they never played because they couldn't figure it out. So we walked them through it. We kind of, we played the American version for the British game, but it's fun. And you have to plan out, you get route cards and you have to plan out your routes and you have little trains and you have to finish a destination and you get points. And basically there are short destinations and long destinations and you have to try and block other people because you don't know where they're going. It's uh, it. You have to think a lot. Yeah, ticket to ride. It's multifaceted. Yes, it is. And the, the one, the European one, there's you can build stations and you can take. I think there's tunnels and all sorts of different stuff. We we kind of simplified it just for the sake of teaching it to make it more fun for a group of people that had not played it. It's a little, I'm a little addicted to it. I got to say, I'm kind of loving it. How many people played? You can play up to five. Up to five people. Mm -hmm. and you or don't do what teams. we did and have teams. So we teams. had, I think, 10 people. And we, no, we had two, four, six people playing. So we did three teams. And so did you, how did you work the team? Did you work uh, in tandem with one another or did you pass off play to your teammates? So for this particular one, because my friend Jim, fellow Greek, uh, didn't. There's know. already trouble in the room, two Greeks. Yeah, so he just said, I'm gonna follow your lead. So what I did is I pretty much played it, but explained my philosophy to him, why I was doing what I was doing so that he would then get to understand. So by the end of the game, he goes, I see why you did that. And then he understood the game. 
you were much more strategic. I, I yes, and I did have, although I did not win because I got stuck with one route card in my hand. So then you have to deduct points, but I did have the longest train. It was all over that board That's and you get extra said. points at the end of the game for having the longest connection of trains. You had the longest train. I love it. I did. I did. She, well, because an Alexis Carrington, of course, would have. Of course, train. darling, of course. What's what's really kind of uh, funny to me is that that game is a productive game. You're mm -hmm. building, you're strategizing. Uh, we play something completely different when we get together with our friends. We play words against humanity, which is the complete opposite of what you're I doing. I love that game, though. It is a fun game. So uh, much fun. And, you know, obviously the fun just goes on and on and on because the, the answers can be as ridiculous as as you make them. Uh, we have to play that again, Dee. We haven't done that in a while. It, it is fun. And there's there's different versions of that game as well. I bought it. I bought I bought it for my daughter. I'm such a bad mother. I bought really? it for my daughter for Christmas as a family. And then I went and bought four different packs. So we have all sorts of different versions of it. Do you play it with uh, with your family? Uh-huh. So it's the kind of game that you can't mix. You really shouldn't mix different groups together in that game unless there's simpatico, you know, mm -hmm. and you know that everybody is going to sort of has the same sense of humor. Uh, otherwise, it can be a bit tough to get through. It can be kind of raunchy. Oh, and I know. Uh, I know. yeah, <laughs> let's just say the word wrong yes, describes that game. It's just and it, wrong. And it's cards against humanity. What did I say? Words? Words. Cards. Thank you. Cards yeah. against humanity. Thank you. Thank you for that, that correction. Angel, you popped that up for that reminder. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we're getting ready to go to the special event. We will leave on Sunday and arrive on Sunday evening. The first event is on Monday night. That is a, a get together. We're looking forward to that. We would normally not attend that event because it in the past has been reserved for people who uh, are first timers, you know, want to get a little bit more, want to get their feet grounded a bit more, themselves grounded a bit more before they start the actual conference. It's sort of a soft intro to the conference. But this year, uh, because we're flying across the country, it is in Miami Beach, and we're recording this in Southern California, we uh, we're going a day early so that we can recoup and we're not running from the airport to the hotel to this event, wherever it is, we haven't even figured that out yet. Uh, oh, Alex knows where it is. Is it at the hotel? Is it at a hotel? It's at the uh, convention center. Oh, it's at the convention center. Okay. My sense is that most things will happen at the convention center because in Miami Beach, there isn't a single hotel property that is large enough to house this conference. So the buy, the hotel buy, the spend is, is there are several, I would say there's 10 or 20 properties to choose from uh, that OnPeak has given us to to uh, secure our rooms. None of them are attached to the convention center. They all require a short walk to the convention center. Uh, so everything will be happening there, which is usually not an issue. The only thing that I'm sort of dreading is the fact that we're going to Miami Beach in July and we're going to have to be outside in between you know, the hotel and, and going to these events. Uh, so that's sort of a, it's uncomfortable. Let's put it that way. 
it's uncomfortable. You might want to bring one of your t- cool wraps for your neck. That might help. That's a good idea. Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking about that, that now. Ideas. Yeah. Uh, so we will be doing uh, Michael Cervelli's hot list. We had him on the show. So of course, we're going to see what he has to present to us this year. We'll be doing the opening night party. We'll go to the gala awards. Uh, there are no awards to speak of. So I believe it'll just be a final night gala this year, final night party. That'll be interesting to see. I'm, I have not looked through the agenda. Uh, I just, I just uh, downloaded a copy of it. So I haven't really had time. I know that, that none of my peeps have really. So we're going in a little blind, but that's okay. Because the point of our going is to, it's twofold. One, to see if there is anything new, as well as to see who is still around and who is still producing. Uh, and then the other is um, to be seen and let people know that we're still around and uh, still vibrant and still have options. Uh, so it's worthwhile if you're on the fence and you're listening to this, it's not too late to join. I would definitely get a ticket and go if you are in the industry and you want people to know, hey, I'm here, I'm ready to go because that's what it's going to be about once we start up and we've already started up. So enough from me uh, and enough about that. We'll report more later on that. But for now, we're going to speak to two people that we just had the pleasure of working uh, with on a project and take it away. Let's hear who they are. Individually, our guests today are powerhouse women. Together, they are an unstoppable force. We have the founder and CEO of Innovative Events for over 30 years. So Tracy offers everything a client needs to create the perfect event. And she's worked with Fortune 500 companies and well-known celebrities such as Elton John and Bon Jovi. Tracy's also the president of Event Heroes, whose mission is share what we have learned to empower others to be their best. And then we also have the director of annual giving and events at Mercy One Des Moines Foundation. Megan's always loved planning and organizing events. In fact, at one point, I think she wanted to be a wedding planner. And after interning for a hospital foundation, Megan knew that she needed to work with nonprofit organizations. And that's what she dedicated her life to. She loves being a part of something bigger and helping her community. Together, Tracy and Megan create an extraordinary yearly event for the Mercy One House of Mercy Game Show Gala. So please let's welcome Ms. Tracy Fuller and Ms. Megan Mildenberger. Hey, Tracy and Megan. We asked Megan and Tracy to be with us today because we had the honor of working with them on the game show gala last month. Uh, Thanks to Tracy and the relationship that we had with her. She introduced us to Megan. And we had such a terrific time doing it. And it's such an interesting a concept that has served House of Mercy for some time. Um, We thought it might be fun to just sort of do our debrief, if you will, to start with a debrief of, you know, how it went uh, this past June and how you did and how the new game did. And because we really have not had a chance to do that. So this is sort of a risk for us because we're going to do it live, you know, but hey, be honest, let us know how it worked, what didn't work, and uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good. So, so, so should, let me start with a question. How did you raise enough money? 
Yeah, so we are set out with a goal of 300,000 and we raised just over that. So we were thrilled to do that in such a pandemic odd year. Really? <laughs> yeah, so we were super excited about it. You know, we, we went into it not really knowing what to expect because it is a pandemic and our event really thrives off of um, kind of a live atmosphere in terms of there's a lot of donating during the event itself. So kind of that peer pressure you have with the people at your table and all that. So we were thrilled with the 300,000. So yeah, very excited. And That's how awesome. much of that came in during the event? Can you guesstimate that? Uh, so during the event, probably, let's see, I think we went into it, I would say 30 to 40,000. Um, a majority of it is raised ahead of time, but not only through um our efforts with sponsorships and such, but through our contestants as well. So, but during the event itself, we raised about 30 to 40. I can't recall exactly how much. And was, I, I don't recall, did you do a silent auction or none of the, no auction whatsoever, right? It was all about the game. Exactly. So that money, go ahead. I was just gonna say, we have had an auction in the past in 2019 we did one but we didn't want to convolute things just with it being in a virtual setting we didn't want there to be too much going on in terms of you can donate to this or you can do that we really just wanted to focus on you know this is the way that you can help us get to our goal so and tracy from a, an event point of view do you agree that was a smart choice to, to get rid of the auction yeah, I do. I think I'm the one that encouraged that. I, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Sometimes I see clients um, work so hard in an auction that doesn't bring in much. So uh, one or two great items might work, but when there's 15 or 20, it just doesn't work as well. So yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you already have this fantastic concept that's working so well. And the honest truth is that with very little exception, most organizations that do silent and live auctions are seeing the profits from those just lessen and lessen and lessen and the interest and the engagement lessen and lessen and lessen. So you've got something that already engages people well beyond that. So <laughs> it was a smart move not to wow. muddy it up. So what went right? What went right? Let's start there. What was really a, a win? You know, I think going into it being virtual, we just didn't have any expectation, especially when we had 20 some odd people zooming in for lack of a better term that can't really control them. I mean, you can't control them on stage, but at least you know they're gonna be in the room and you can get them on stage if you need them on stage. Right. Right. So I think all of our transitions, um, our teams were always there when they were supposed to be there. I think that they really amped up the crowd. I was able to watch the event after because in it, I was not paying any attention to mm -hmm. what's happening. So I do feel like they did a great job of um, getting it excited building that excitement in a virtual setting where, you know, normally you might just have someone a talking head talking at you for however mm -hmm. long. And um, I do think that they really encouraged people to donate to their team as they were playing. So I think that all went really well. I was really pleased with how kind of all of that worked together, thanks to your team and to our, um, the team at Mills James, really working with our contestants to make sure that they knew 
You need to be at your computer. You need to be on screen, well lit, all of the things. So it was, it all paid off all of the conversations we had with them. They listened. It was really impressive, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, with 20 people who are all in more or less different locations, some of them were in Florida. So, I mean, you just didn't really know what what you were going to get. So we were happy with how well they listened. We should tell um, the audience that what we played was a game that um, we helped to develop for House of Mercy, and it in, it entailed having four teams of five players that would vie uh, for bragging rights in winning the game. And so it had to accommodate four teams of five players, and because we were virtual, the players were all in their homes or offices where they were where they would be in a virtual event. And uh, the studio was in, in Columbus. Yes, the Columbus studio, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. House of Mercy is located in Des Moines. So Tracy, who's the planner, uh, brought the team to Megan. And can you tell me a little bit about um, going to Megan with a team that wasn't in Des Moines? Well, the beauty of that was we were virtual, so we could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, and I have uh, teammates in uh, that I've met through the years that I knew could pull this off. So I called those teammates and I introduced them to Megan, and they all did a wonderful job. Especially mm-hmm. you guys, you guys were amazing um, with the game show. Yeah, yeah, and uh, really made it a fun event that we weren't sure how it was going to be received because it was virtual. So, um, and a lot of my clients are sick and tired of virtual. Mm -hmm. So to be able to keep them engaged and to keep the audience engaged was remarkable and amazing. Agreed. A thousand percent. It felt fun and engaging. I watched it. And I particularly loved the way that the MCs played off one another. I was, I wondered how that would work, but it was so delightful. And the way that Sabrina was, uh, the sort of the, the, the fun that Steve was having was that it appeared to the audience that Sabrina was being treated like a queen and he was in, you know, being treated, treated like the schmuck who, you know, just got there and nobody knew it was very funny. Uh, at one point, I, I almost wanted to suggest to Mill James, you turn the lights out on him. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Drop his mic. Right. Yeah. He played that so well. Um, and, and honestly, I think one of the reasons why it came together so well is we were dealing with a team of professionals at House of Mercy who understand how much, how important it is to engage people and understand when something is too frivolous to not matter and when something is important that, you know, has to be a part of the program. Um, I, 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 D'Angelo and I were just so taken with your professionalism and your intuition, your abilities, your perception, everything. We're just so, so impressed and so honored to be part of the project. What can be fixed or tweaked to be a little better? 
that's the best question because um i think in my i like am a tracy knows this very well about me i'm very much like i need to know what to expect and with you guys you're so great at that i think that just in the process of getting everything together it all ended up working out really well but just like timelines with other vendors that we used as well it was kind of more we're trying to kind of I felt like I was pulling teeth to get some stuff from some people so I think it's just a matter of um that to me was the biggest hurdle to to mm. jump um and as far as you know game show I think the things that didn't work didn't work because it was a virtual setting and we fingers crossed, we'll not have to deal with that again next year. So in my opinion, and Tracy, you may think differently, I do feel like everything that I wish could have been changed are a non-issue in future years because they're they all kind of link back to it being a virtual. And I think it's also, if this was our first year doing this event and it were in person, I would have the same probably headaches about things because it was the first year doing it this way next year we would change it um thankfully next year we don't have to do it the same way so um that to me i think was when i look back on it i don't think that anything night of really went awry or anything like that it just the the getting to that night is kind of where the hurdles were for me were there hurdles in getting the information from the vendors? Were the vendors having hurdles? Or do you think it was really sort of the COVID sort of, I know I have a lot to do, but I can't quite get it done fog that a lot of people seem to be in? I want to say that it was probably more that, um, which was just frustrating for me because i you had no time for that thought. No, I was like, <laughs> okay, we're like two weeks out. What are we, what are we doing? So um, I do think that it was kind of that, you know, so much is going on and I don't really even know where to begin with this type of situation. Um, that's, I think that's where it all yeah. stemmed from, to your point. The unknown, right? I mean, at the right. end of the day. Yeah. The unknown. And, and I have to say, going back to the last question, the things that we struggled with, nobody else saw. So exactly, right. yes, 100%. They weren't, they weren't visible to anybody in the audience. Back um, end, 100%. Yeah, I think rehearsal was a little rough, but for some of our contestants, but that's because they had never been in, in a tech rehearsal before. Yeah. So um, they, they didn't understand all the inner workings that were going on. Um, but I think otherwise, I, I think everything went smoothly. And like I said, nobody knew that anything, um, cues were missed or anything like that. So yeah. no, was no, there, no. was there sort of an impatience a bit felt at the rehearsals? Is that what I'm, I'm deriving? Yeah. yeah and I think, see our contestants and even our team, Usually, if we have any sort of rehearsal, it's mostly Tracy and I with the sure, tech the people doing it, right. or um, you know, we'll bring the contestants in a half hour before the right. the event starts to do some sort of a rehearsal. But we were asking a lot more of our contestants. Yeah. We asked them to do, you know, our contestant breakfast over Zoom. We asked them to then do a thirty minute phone call with Bellotta to get familiar with the game. Then we asked them to be on for a two hour rehearsal. In addition. To being on for three hours or four, whatever it was, the night of. So 
I think it was just, and they were all willing to do it. I think it's just a matter of if it's a busy time in people's life, it's right after school's ending, you know, we have some other events in Des Moines around that time as well. So um, trying to wrangle all of those people was a little difficult, understandably mm-hmm. so. And so I think there was some impatience with, um, you know, on the, and they weren't able to get into the room right away because somehow something was set up incorrectly. So they were trying to get a hold of our team and I was, so it was just a lot of, you know, stress. Yes. Yes. Unnecessary stress, but nobody complained about it after the fact, you know, good after that event, after the rehearsal was done, no one had anything to say about it. And they all did a phenomenal job the next day. That's great. Tracy, you wanted to add? Um, I, I think it was just the difference. Uh, the the difference, the unknown, the mm-hmm. anxiety of not having it be what it what it normally is. Yeah. 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 And they normally can kind of come together because yeah, more members on their team, but they're just home alone and unsure of when they're being broadcasted on on, <laughs> on the stream and right. can they hear me if I'm talking in this waiting room or you know, so all of that they didn't have you know, the comfortability that you do in an in-person event. And would they, um, do, do you think they felt at all shortchanged a bit, uh, having sort of lost out on the excitement of doing it live? At the end of the event, was there, did you feel any kind of post-mortem yourself? Like, you know, all of this work and you're not standing there with people who are hugging you and saying, this was the greatest night ever, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh, Anthony, 100%. I felt like this event, like I felt really good about it after it ended. And then I just had this overwhelming feeling of, okay, was it good though? Like what did people actually enjoy it? And I didn't know why, because everyone in my office was saying it was great. Tracy said it was great. Tracy's like, Anthony told me it was wonderful and all of his things. And I'm like, but why do I still feel like it wasn't successful? And it's because I didn't have, I couldn't see that people were enjoying it. I could see in the chat a little bit, but I wasn't really paying attention. But after the event, it's not like everybody comes up to me and tells me, oh, this is so wonderful, but I can see that people are laughing. They're enjoying themselves after the event they're talking mm-hmm. to each other and sticking around mm-hmm. I had none of that and I was right. just like someone tell me that. like why do I feel this way and I just finally realized I couldn't see that everybody had fun like right I could watch it and I laughed at it the next that's why I had to watch it the next day I was like <laughs> I need to watch this and make sure right is it as good as I thought it was like my husband's telling me it was good, but is he saying that because he's my right? Because he loves me. So <laughs> right, and I even said, I was like, "Are you only saying that because you're married to me?" And he's like, "No, like I would have enjoyed that if I wasn't married to you." We watched an event the week before, and that was terrible. And right. I was like, "Okay, fine," but yeah, there was definitely that point. You know, I needed that not necessarily reassurance that people are telling me it was good, but that I can see people are enjoying it. Absolutely, and it was so hard not to have that so disconnected isn't it just feel like okay after I've done an event online you know shut down the computer I'm done and then I just feel like what was that did anybody really enjoy it did that you know yeah it's really really hard and that's something that future planners are going to have to really think about Mm -hmm. uh you know maybe not in the in the next 10 or 20 years but certainly this isn't going away don't you think 
Yeah, no, I don't think it'll go away. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away completely. But as no. Megan said, the human element of that, thankfully, is what everyone still desires. I think I, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be replaced entirely. Um, the human element of gathering. So I'm yeah. super glad about that. And I think depending on the type of event, I think some you know, corporate conferences might stay virtual longer, but in terms of local fundraising events, like we have, I think that unless another pandemic rolls around, we right. will more than likely be back 100% in person going forward just to, I mean, within our local community. The only reason we had people in Florida is they could, they were on the team and they're like, well, if I can do it from anywhere. I might as well just go to Florida and right. I meet there and I'll log in. And I was like, all right, if you want to, Hang out with us on your vacation by all means. So, you know, so, one thing that strikes me, and I know you said that the, you were asking a lot of the the uh, contestants this year that normally they're not they don't have to do all of that tech and everything. But at the end of the day, the common goal of raising funds for such an amazing foundation, all of that goes away. You know, yeah. that it, it doesn't matter. You know, maybe there's a little frustration or a little nervousness. And then at the end, you have this amazing product and they go, wow, I got to be a part of something virtually in this time. They found a way to make it happen. They found a way to, to still do something so important. And they allowed me to be a part of it. They don't remember that frustration. It's kind of like giving, right? You know, kind of like giving yeah. um, childbirth. Yeah. You don't remember yeah. you want to do it again. Right? Yeah, and to that point, you know, one of the teams, they ended up in third place and they were one of the teams that was frustrated at the tech rehearsal because they couldn't get in. The entire team came up to one of my colleagues after and was like, we want to do this again next year. We've had so much fun. We think it will be even better in person. Like, we cannot wait. Please ask us back. And we we're like, well, you were great people to be on screen. So yeah, why not? So why not? Yeah, I think having those, you know, I think people to your point, Alex, realized we're here for the common good and look mm -hmm. at what we did. We may not have won, but look what we were able to do for the organization as a whole. Um, I think people really, really do rally behind that. And that's a sign that that it went well because mm -hmm. internally you're having those conversations with people who want to come back and play again, even though there was more time needed from them and more effort and they had to make sure their kids weren't screaming in the background and all of yeah. that stuff. <laughs> uh, you, that's, that's, that's proof right there that they're willing to come back. Yeah. I have a question about next year uh, because, you know, we're all on the fence about hybrid and, and virtual and we really, at this point, I think we can all agree we don't want to do it unless we have to. Mm -hmm. But what are the chances that you're going to have to include some kind of virtual element next year? Have you discussed this? Somebody that wants to be on a team that uh, suddenly gets called away, you know, how, what will your progress, your, your position be in your protocol? Yeah, I think as far as our contestants go, we will want people who can be there night of just to, because I think that when you see our event live on stage, it wouldn't really play well to have some people not on stage and, you know, virtually coming in. Um, but it is something to consider in terms of do we live stream the event in terms for people who aren't local 
to view it at, you know, and you could still potentially have it be at a cost where you're just viewing the event at a lower cost, um, but don't want to pay the full ticket price because either you're not local or it's just not something you're into. It is something that we can consider doing. Um, but as far as contestants go, I think our stance would be all of them should be in the same place um, and look the same because we actually had a group of contestants who wanted to be together and just be on one screen. And we were like, no, we want everyone to look uniform so that there's no, I mean, when they ended up being in the same location, but all in their own offices. But I think there's something about um, having the, like, having a level playing field for everybody um, would be important. And I think just the look and feel of all five contestants on stage, especially after having all five of them on a virtual thing, um, people would feel really excited about that. Yeah, I think also it helped the play and the and it helped following the play virtually for the audience mm -hmm. as well. And if if that team had been situated in different and a different pip, uh, yeah. you know, it would not have played as well because we were also, uh, so that everyone knows, we used the opportunity to make sure that the captain was always in the top box and that the players were always listed in the order that they would appear to ensure that we wouldn't have any issues virtually with calling the wrong player's name or having it show up in the game. So we were really clear in that, uh, in that protocol. And so, yeah. For that reason and and the all the reasons in the back end that we didn't even consider you know like fair play and you know the things that you had to consider as the planner moving forward with this event because at the end of the day this is this is your event to either move forward with or not right mm -hmm. depending on how it goes t what do you think so i do think that that we need to have a virtual element to it but more for the audience, for a wider audience, not for the contestants. So um, mm -hmm. I think it gives us an opportunity to collect funds from mm -hmm. people that might not necessarily order a ticket. Right. Um, you, I was just going to say you have the benefit of having fingers already in the in the in the pot, if you will, with all of your contestants that have family and friends in other cities. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's so we what can, I was just going to say too. Yeah, so it could be national yes. um, or, or international for that for that matter. And we can collect money from all over. Yes. So it's an opportunity to really um, up the up the donations. Yes. And it might be the type of thing that um, you becomes accessible to you when you make a donation of this amount of money to a team that, you know, you yeah. automatically it's a, it's definitely a proposition worth considering because it could exponentially mean so much more money for the organization. Uh, so it's an interesting, it'll be interesting to see how you handle it moving forward. And if in fact you decide to dedicate funds and efforts to that, because I think it will take that, you know, you, you mm -hmm. sort of have to build the, the infrastructure first uh, and just and and go for it, and then you you hope that it it pays off, um, or you have an out clause. Uh, but it's it's important that you know to to I think at least try it, don't you? Absolutely. And have you seen have you done any hybrid events like that, Anthony? 
No, I have not. I just did an event for ADHA, the American Dental Hygienist Association. Uh, I served as their MC, so I didn't do any of the back end work. But I can tell you that what they did was they did a live concert, a, a live meeting in Phoenix, and they sold it also virtually for the week after. And I'm not sure that that was the right way to go because it it did make it uh, known to the public or to their attendees that they could go just do the virtual meeting. They didn't have to go to Phoenix to get content wow. in advance rather than you know making it available after the fact, which is what I would recommend to any conference right now that's trying to go back live rather than have that virtual component because it will drive attendance virtually. And yeah, uh, yeah mm -hmm. you, won't, uh, you won't get them live, which I think is the point. Uh, everyone else that I'm working with is going one way or the other. And mostly it's live mm -hmm. now. And I think uh, my clients, and I have a public facing client that is not seeing the value in going virtual as you are. Well, you had said about, you know, clients wanting to go one way or the other. And I have a thought on this, correct me if I'm wrong. I think right now people are so hungry for the human element. We're hungry to, you know, to hug and, and talk face to face and look into somebody's eyes and see them smile. And once we get back and start, we start feeling more normal. I wonder if then people are really going to start embracing what a virtual hybrid, what a hybrid event can do for them. You know, right now, I feel like we're also focused on wanting to be face to face. And then eventually, okay, we've had this, this is great. We can have both, we can have it all now and let's do it all. I just feel like, cause I know how I'm feeling. I wanna be in person as much as possible right now. Yeah, I think that that's probably pretty true. Um, and I think that as you see other organizations doing hybrid successfully, cause I know for our organization as a nonprofit, we're probably I could very well see us saying we can't budget to do both because it is going to be more expensive. But if you see the success these other organizations similar to yours are having in a hybrid model, I think people will definitely put it in their budgets because they can make up for some of that if they're seeing the success that other similar organizations are having. Like we're not going to compare ourselves to the American Dental Association, for example we would compare ourselves to other, and even like a national foundation, we probably wouldn't. But if ChildServe or American Heart Association locally is having success with their virtual or their hybrid events, I could see us being more apt to budget for a hybrid model and spending more on that tech side than we would in just a in-person event. It's an interesting uh, um, uh, problem to have, if you will, <laughs> in that there, there is, I think, something to be gained for some markets, for some events, and then probably not much to be gained by others. And in the local uh, nonprofit world, I think there, you're right. I think it's going to depend on, one, how others in your and your community are doing 
And two, where your constituents really are, are they out there? You know, are there, are there mm -hmm. other programs like yours out there that are serving people in other communities that, you know, so, you know, that waters it down so much that you don't get the traction that you want. It's a, it is going to be an interesting problem to solve. Uh, and it's going to be hard to, because to determine whether the cart comes before the horse or the horse comes before the cart in terms of spending money, mm -hmm. because it isn't cheap. Yeah. Cause we even talked about, do we have that option for this year? Because back when we were planning this mm -hmm. in June or all, April probably of 2020, we're like, oh, there will be no problem with us being in person, but maybe we should still have a virtual component to the event. <laughs> and, you know, we actually had a lot of mixed reviews about when we decided just to go completely virtual because things were so uncertain and things were changing constantly. And who knew when a vaccine was coming? And even when the vaccine started rolling out, we're like, there's no way it's going to roll out by June. Well, it was totally rolled out and people were having in-person events, but we wanted to pick something and stick with it so that we didn't have one, a big cost adjustment halfway through trying to figure it out. But two, we just wanted, I mean, I think some people, when you think of a virtual event, they're like, oh, that's so easy. I'm guilty. I totally thought that at the very beginning, but it's so much harder and it's actually... <laughs> probably more expensive like you're not you don't have the cost of you know a venue or some people might have have a cost of food but the tech side of it if you look at your production costs you know apples to apples and an in-person and a virtual they're just way 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 more expensive in terms of a virtual so there's just so much more that goes into it that I don't think people realize so yeah I, I feel like it'll be very interesting to see kind of how different organizations will roll with it through this next year. Yeah, it's still pretty undefined in my world here too. And I keep saying that uh, they're going to look a multitude of ways, hybrid events. And it's going to be one of those loosely used terms that is you know, going to mean a variety of things. You're going to have to ask somebody what they mean by hybrid when they say, oh, I want a hybrid event, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's it's and and I I think we're all on the same page that we are definitely not of the generation that would be glued to a, a virtual event. Uh, you know, it's just for us, I it feels like it's a second not as great option, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I do think that we were pushed into um, something that has been lingering. Because um, we've been talking about hybrid events or virtual events for a couple of years in the event industry. So I think this was a perfect opportunity to push us in the, into that and really get us mm -hmm. a, a good idea of what that's going to look like right. and, and get the fear of it away. I mean, we had to operate in that world. Right. So we, we couldn't be fearful anymore. Right. So it's like stepping off the cliff and hoping right. you can swim, right? Uh -huh. So that's kind of what the virtual events did for us this year. So now we have the opportunity to make it so much more now that we understand it a little bit better. Right. That's a very good point. And mm -hmm. I just need to say that some of us didn't jump off the bridge. Some <laughs> of us took the next step and didn't just throw in the towel. Uh, right. And I'm actually, I, Megan, when you, when you said, oh, virtual event is easy, I'm, I'm actually intrigued by that notion because I think most people were fearful 
of that. So I think if you are in an event, like if you do events for a living, you're definitely more. But when we told people we were having a virtual event, they're like, oh, well, then what do you need my money for? It's going to be cheaper. Like it's easier. You're just doing it on Zoom. And I was like, no, it's it's going to look very much like a production. I think, and I don't know, maybe it's just because of the market that we're in and virtual events that we've had in the Des Moines area. Maybe, I mean, I've attended, I don't know, three or four. And I think ours did have probably one of the highest production values in terms of all everything going on. And some of them were very much like what we're doing right now, just on a Zoom and all of those things. So I think the and the idea of what they're seeing every day on their Zoom calls at work, you know, mm-hmm. I, you, you hear this term Zoom fatigue all the time. I think that that's what people thought about when they thought, okay, it's a virtual event and we'll just do it on zoom zoom is on every company's you know budget now and so we i think it's just a matter of people didn't understand or don't understand how much work and production went into it because even one of our board members i mean he didn't even want to donate at first he's like okay i'll do it but i'm not going to have anybody from our team attend no one's going to want to attend it so i'll just donate to you and i was like Okay, I'll take your money. Thanks for being so generous. How's the mercy appreciates it? Yeah, and um, and then I had another board member who I was explaining to her kind of some back end stuff, and she's like, "Megan, this is so much work. How are you guys even managing this?" I said, "You know, we have a great team behind us, but thank you for recognizing that. You know, I think it's it's just a difference of what people expect having gone through all of these Zoom. I mean, we did a we call them summits for our organization nationally. And it was very much just like a Zoom thing. And that's what my boss had in her head the whole time. And she's like, we can't have that. This was so boring. And she's like, I was on the committee for it. I'm still saying it was pretty boring. Like, But it's, it was early on. So we just don't, I mean, it's one of those things where you just don't know what to expect. And when you're trying to raise money versus when it's an educational thing, there really needs to be a difference of so that you're really getting those people engaged and wanting to be a part of your organization so you know I think that there's a little bit of um just not know just a a difference on what you actually are getting versus what you think is or a difference on what you think you're getting versus what the end product is right well I think D'Angelo said it best when he told the contestants this is like a tv show this is like producing a television show that would make a whole difference um, to, to your donor that said, oh, it's a zoom. I'm not going to be involved. If, if he, if he understood that we were producing a television show versus a zoom meeting, then it would have made more sense. Yeah. And I, and I think after, you know, that was initially when we first were talking about it. And I think at the end, after we've had more meetings and shown our board, um, you know, mock-ups of what things were going to look like. He was like, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, so just changing their perspective on what they're thinking. And it's not just Zoom. And that's what my boss said all the time. Well, it's not just a Zoom meeting, right? Don't worry. (laughs) So just not having, you know, experienced many virtual events and what you do experience is on Zoom. So, or Microsoft Teams, you know, just those you don't have as much, I mean, there's really no production with those. It's just 
the talking head. <laughs> but don't you see how hard it is to be a change maker now? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, Tracy, when you were, before you were speaking, I was thinking the same thing. And I think that's a really great way to verbalize what's going to happen because now when I watch TV and I see a lower third come on or I see a graphic come on before it was a lower third. It was a graphic. I just, I didn't know what they were called. I just looked at it. Okay. But now when I see it, I pay attention. I focus and I can appreciate all the technical work that went on and how fast things have to happen. Everybody has to be on the ball to make that one little thing happen. Right. Graphic happen. I, I look at it in a whole different way now. I totally agree, Alex. I told Tracy after the event, I was on the intercom system so I could hear the show caller. And I was like, they're speaking a different language. I have no idea how they understand like MX2 to like all of these things. I was like, this is insane to me. Like they're literally calling it as it's going and things are popping up on the screen that are supposed to be there. And I was like, this is fascinating. (laughs) It gives you a whole different appreciation for what goes into, especially live TV. Yeah. It is. It does, doesn't it? It's incredible how much effort goes into just even one minute of film. Wow. It's incredible. I'm so glad that you had this this opportunity uh, to sort of stretch your skills too, right? And yeah. learn something new, like we all did. We all had to sort of stretch and yeah. and learn and and uh, not freak out while we're doing it. <laughs> Megan's good at that. She actually is a, <laughs> is a great client because she doesn't freak out. So I try not to. Yeah. yeah. I'm like a duck. I always tell people like, it may look like I'm cool, calm and collected, but underneath my feet are moving real quick. <laughs> freaking out a little bit, but. Oh, and you're know, doing a lot of this with a little one too. Yeah. With, you know, an almost two year old and never had to like do an event with a child because she was born right before the pandemic and then all the events were gone. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a different ball game, but I'm thankful to have great vendors and teammates like Tracy and Anthony and D'Angelo. They were so awesome to work oh, with. Oh, come on. <laughs> really and kept me. And support at home, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, well, of course, <laughs> yes. We, you know, we did a little investigating beforehand and we learned, Megan, that you love nonprofits. That I do. That's your bailiwick. What about it? What about nonprofits? You know, I think having a mother who like worked in a hospital my entire life and more for that, you know, I grew up in a hospital and I grew up in a, in a space where people were always trying to make someone else feel better. And I think I've always kind of gravitated towards, I think I have a little bit of a people pleaser personality. And so part of that too, I think helps with the nonprofit aspect where, you know, you really feel like you're part of something and you're making a difference in your community or for, I used to work at Big Brothers Big Sisters for the children who, you know, might be struggling at home or not have a parent or siblings. You know, I think that knowing that what you're doing is part of something bigger than you is really, it's important for me and it really drives me to want to do better for our our organization. So it's just always been something that I've considered. At one point, I wanted to be a social worker. I mean, it kind of has always been part of who I am, I guess. Is that why weddings didn't work out for you? 
you know, I think a lot of the wedding aspect was that I didn't want to work every Saturday, to be quite honest, because I still think that would be a really fun job. But I'm not in on, you know, my Saturdays being completely shot and dealing with bridezilla is probably is not something that I'm really interested in either. But um, I just really enjoy the planning and logistics behind things. And I'm happy that I can kind of mix those two together in a nonprofit world. How many, how many events do you do at House of Mercy in a year's time? Well, so Mercy One Des Moines Foundation, which is the foundation I work for, we have a number of different uh, organizations within ours. So House of Mercy is one of them. So that's our main event for the foundation. But we have other smaller things that we do throughout the year as well. So that's the big event. It's my favorite aspect of my job that we do each and every year. And then we have smaller, some events are with other organizations. For example, we do the Variety Telethon here in Des Moines. So we help fill in a panel. So I kind of organize that whole thing. And we work with Principal Charity Classic and have an event at their um, tournament for one of the days each year as well. So I help work on those logistics. And then every other year we do a donor recognition event called Instruments of Mercy, where we recognize donors of um, a certain level and people who have donated $500,000 or more get inducted into our Gilead circle. So I do all of those in addition to planning our um, annual campaign uh, event, or well, it's not an event, it's our um, employee giving campaign. So logistics behind that. But the only event, event that I do each and every year from start to finish is the gala. And Tracy, do you have an opportunity to work on those events as well? I haven't. I'm I'm just a gala girl. <laughs> well, you're They're, the best gala girl there is. One hundred percent. We couldn't do it without Tracy. Honestly, Thanks. yeah. Is that how Even you met doing the the gala? That's how. That's where your relationship started. That is, yeah. I, actually, I started the uh, gala eleven years ago, and I think you came on about what nine. Mm -hmm. So Tracy's so been doing it longer together. than me. <laughs> yeah. So I was there for the inception um, of the game show gala. And uh, we had, a, it was a lot rougher when we started. Um, and we've come a long ways. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you about that, if you don't mind about those early days of the gala and how you've progressed. But we're going to pause right now because this is a two parter. And episode two, we'll have you back. And so we're just going to pause for a moment and we'll come back into episode two and finish up this chat. So this is Alex for a change. And I just want to thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to another episode of Belotify. Please go and find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you happen to be on Apple, go ahead and give us five stars. Anthony always says I deserve it, but really, give it to him. He needs the five stars. He could use it. He deserves it. He's a good guy. I like him. So saying goodbye for Anthony and myself. Bye-bye.